Good afternoon, and welcome to the St. John Viati Center's podcast, Journey to Thrive. I'm Sister Mercedes McCann, and I work in the Consultation, Education, and Outreach Department of St. John Vianney Center in the Leadership Relations role. The title of today's talk is Loneliness and Isolation. My presentation this afternoon is based on a book by our present Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy. The title of his book is Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation, and it was published in 2023. He also has a book of a similar title that was published in 2020, but the more recent book is a little bit easier to navigate. And so I, I would suggest that you purchase the book for yourself because you'll find that you can read between the lines and apply it to whatever your community or your family gathering is, whatever group you would like people to get the maximum out of in terms of connections to one another. So Marte offers us a definition of loneliness. He says that loneliness is a subjective, distressing experience that results from perceived isolation or inadequate meaningful connections. Inadequate, where the person's unmet needs is somewhere between what is preferred and what the actual experience is. And so it's very important to think that it's a perceived isolation of inadequate, meaningful connections. Those, those connections might be there and they may be meaningful, but the person isn't able to perceive them. Or they have an unmet need that is somewhere between what they prefer and what their actual experience is. And so in the book, Murti gives us several definitions of kinds of connection, connections that we have or we do not have, and, and some of the um, characteristics of connectedness that need to be present in order for a person to feel as if they really belong and thus mitigate against feelings of loneliness and isolation. So the first thing that he talks about is something he defines as social capital. And for Murti, social capital is the resources to which individuals and groups have access to through their social networks. So the, the more social network a person has, or the deeper those social networks are, then the greater their social capital will be. He then talks about social support, and he defines that as perceived or the actual availability of emotional, informational, or tangible resources from others. So social support is the perceived or actual availability of other people to be there for you emotionally, informationally, or tangibly. It's a resource that you can handle on. He talks about something called social cohesion, which is an individual's sense of solidarity within the group. Where do they see themselves fitting? And it's marked by strong social connections and high levels of social participation that generate trust norms of reciprocity, and a sense of belonging. So social cohesion 
is that sense of solidarity within the group. I belong here. I am here for them, and they are here for me. He also talks about social connection, which he says is a fundamental human need. It's essential to survival. And every one of us is hardwired for social connection, the ability to rely on one another. So we need social connection in order to survive. He also talks about social negativity. And he says that's the presence of harmful interactions or relationships rather than the absence of desired social interactions or relationships. So this could be when people get involved in groups that are very drug-related. You have teenagers belonging to gangs that are not what we would like them to be, the kinds of relationships that we can have. Uh, Mob psychology, where people get wrapped up in something that a mob of people is doing that is very, very detrimental to society in general. And I think we can easily think of some some examples of that. People who belong to those group feels connected, but it's actually social negativity because the purpose of the group is a negative purpose. Margie goes on to say that social connection has three vital components, structures, functions, and quality. So by structure, he means that's the number and the frequency and the variety of interactions. So structurally, you can get together with groups of people on a regular basis. It could be the size of the house in which an individual lives. It could be your friendship circle size. It can be status relationships, such as your job. But there's a frequency and there's a variety of interactions that are part of those structures. By functions, He says that is the degree to which relationships serve our various needs. So for instance, we could go to dinner with a group of people, or we can go to a Sunday prayer service or church service and not feel that our needs are being met. We're just there. It's perfunctory. On the other hand, we can get together with maybe one other person and feel as if our connections are being met, our needs for that kind of support are being met. He goes on to say that a function of connection is emotional support, that someone or some people understand what we're going through at an emotional feeling level. It can further be mentorship, buddy support, where if we go to a new job or we go to live in a new community, that there's someone there who's going to pick us by the hand and show us the ropes as we're going through this particular form of connection. And finally, it's knowing that we have support in the time of crisis. So a function of social connection is that we have support in time of crisis. So we we feel socially connected to a group of people who will be there for us if necessary. And finally, Marty talks about the quality of our social connections the positive and negative aspects of relationships and interactions. Is the relationship a satisfactory relationship? Is it one in which we're getting something from, 
Or is it a strained relationship? So if you think sometimes a job relationship that becomes strained over time can be very wearing for the individual. And so it's a negative aspect of the relationship. Marty goes on to talk about our social connectedness being on a continuum from lower to higher. So our social connectedness is very dynamic. So you think about if you lived in the same neighborhood for many years of your life, and then for some reason or other, you leave that neighborhood. You're not there any anymore. You go on to another way of life or you move to a very different place. Your hope is and your desire is when leaving the neighborhood, oh, I'll stay connected to these people forever. We've been friends for five years, 10 years, whatever it might be, and we'll stay very connected. But I think we've all had the experience that over time, as we form new connections, that those connections get fewer and farther between. So it's dynamic. As we form new connections, we may have to let go a little bit of the connections that have been behind us. They change over time. They can be improved over time and grow deeper, or they can become compromised for many reasons, distance being only one of them. Chronic loneliness, even if someone is not isolated, add chronic isolation, even if someone is not feeling lonely, represent a significant health concern. So chronic loneliness, even if you're in a group of people, a group of people who support you and like you very much, but you can feel lonely in the midst of that. And on the other hand, if someone is doesn't feel lonely, but they have no social connectedness, then that also can equate to a significant health concern. So loneliness does not equate to social connection. We can feel lonely in the midst of a very cohesive group, and we can feel socially connected, but be isolated, not be part of the group. So what helps to shape our social connections? Well, individually, what helps to shape them? Chronic disease is something that would shape our connections. It's difficult sometimes to connect, when a person is feeling chronically diseased, chronically ill. Sensory and functional impairments can impede our social connections. If a person is uh, hearing impaired, or if a person is visually impaired, or if a person is mobily impaired, that can mitigate against social connections when they don't have a connection with people who are also hearing impaired or who are also visually impaired. Mental health mitigates against social connectedness, first of all, because it impedes accurate perception at times. And then also sometimes people are simply incapable of being or of feeling socially connected. People who are depressed oftentimes feel as if they're not socially connected and they haven't got the energy to invest in social connections. Physical health, for the same reason, someone may not feel as if they have the, the the physical ability at that moment to maintain social connectedness. Our personalities can affect social connectedness. An extrovert just grows and grows and grows in the number of social, social connections that they have, whereas an introvert 
can get by with maybe two or three very close social connections. And in neither group does the person necessarily feel isolated. Race can contribute to social connection. If we feel as if our race does not make a difference to anybody with whom we are connecting, then we can connect with everybody. But if we are experiencing racism, then that mitigates against a social connectedness. Sometimes our gender can mitigate against social connectedness. We, we, in years gone by, we heard about the glass ceiling that women could not break through in order to get to the top of their particular profession. While that has lessened a good deal, that's a good example of how gender can get into the way of good social connectedness. Socioeconomic status can get into the way of good social connectedness. And there are certainly are many stratas of socioeconomic status that can mitigate against a total across the board social connectedness. And then finally, Marty says that our life stage is important in social connectedness. So that's why as people age, we need to be particularly caring of them and make sure that in a family situation or a community situation that we are continuing to reach out and help that person to continue to engage in whatever the connections are within the family or the community so that they do not begin to feel isolated from whatever is happening or isolated from the individuals in the family or in the individual community. The structure, the function, and the quality of relationships is very important. The number of people with whom we work, with whom we live, also helps to contribute to relationships. The characteristics and the behaviors of other people if you are an extrovert and you are with a group of extroverts most of the time, then you're going to feel very socially connected. If you're an extrovert and you happen to be with a fair number of introverts most of the time, you're going to have to make some accommodations in order to feel socially connected and vice versa. And then the amount of empathy we care for, but we feel from people in the group helps us to feel socially connected to those people and the amount of empathy we're able to offer to them when needed. Community helps to contribute to our connectedness. The healthcare community in particular. So Marty speaks of the large community that's near a person. The larger that is, the more access they will probably have to the healthcare that they need and the more aware of that individual others in the community will be so that they can encourage the person to go for the health care that they need. Society in general helps to contribute to this feeling of connectedness. What are the norms and the values of the particular society in which I move? And if I subscribe to those norms and values, then I feel connected within that particular group of people. It's policies. If I live in an over 55 community where I subscribe to the policies and the rules and regulations in that community, then I will feel connected to other people in the community. If some of those rules and regulations rub me the wrong way, 
then I'm not likely to feel as connected to the group. Our technology environment and use helps us to feel connected. And of course, we certainly became more connected through technology during COVID. Today, you have many people who take advantage of therapy by way of Zoom. Uh, We have people who belong to disparate groups but want to connect, who use Zoom as a form of connecting. We were very creative, I think, in the beginnings of COVID in particular, in connecting by Zoom. I mean, I remember hearing about groups of young people who would connect every Friday night for pizza and beer by Zoom. Some of them still connect that way as some have moved across the country and into different places that fostered that feeling of connection. However, there's a feeling of connection that can also be a negative feeling of connection. For instance, if I'm someone who goes to my room and plays games on my computer all the time, rather than connecting with the people with whom I live, that can lead to further isolation and eventually to loneliness. To say nothing of the fact that games played on a computer can be a gateway to gambling. So we want to be very careful if we find ourselves having connected so much through our computer, and that's the only way that we connect. Folks who are sick, visiting family members, uh, visiting the homebound, participating in church groups, there are all ways in which we maintain that social connection. Murty states in his book that lacking social connection is as dangerous as smoking up to 15 cigarettes per day to our health. So if an individual lacks social connection, that is doing the same kind of damage to their health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day because it can lead to depression and anxiety, or if the person is already prone to depression and anxiety, it can worsen those feelings. And so it can be very detrimental to a person's health. The positive influence that social connection has on our health is that it gives meaning and purpose and motivation. Having social connection is a reason to get up in the morning. It's a reason to join our our, our, our retired friends for coffee after, after church on a Sunday morning or even on any morning of the week. It gives us a motivation to do something for ourselves each day. It can give us a purpose if we're volunteering somewhere or if we're still employed. There's a purpose to get up and to get moving. All of that is part of social connection. It provides increased opportunities for and access to support. The more connected we are, the more we feel we can reach out to someone if we need help in whatever way we might need it. And it also helps us to cope with stressful situations. Chronic stress contributes to worsened health outcomes. So in very healthy, stressful situations that are really pressing against our own good health, we know that we can reach out to other people. So what further things can we do as individuals to foster good social connection? Well, Marty gives us a whole list of things we can do. He says the first thing is, of course, understanding the power of social connection and the consequences of social disconnection. So I would advise reading 
either one of the two books that he has written on these particular subjects would be important for individuals to understand that power and what it does for our lives. He further says that we need to invest time in nurturing our relationships, not just assuming that because we have friends, they will remain friends when we don't reach out to them, and they in turn don't reach out to us. And so that reaching out, Marty says, is through consistent, frequent, and high quality engagement with other people. Take time each day to reach out to at least one friend or one family member so they know you care, and undoubtedly, in turn, they, they will respond to your need. Minimizing distraction during conversation is another way he says that individuals can promote connection. I think there are, there's nothing more annoying than to be on the phone with someone and to hear them doing the dishes in the background. You know, you, you could be telling them the most egregious thing that happened to you that day, and they're doing dishes in the background. We really can't multitask emotionally. So being present to someone when you're in a conversation with them, when you're in their presence, not checking your phone, not doing the dishes while you're on a telephone conversation, not being distracted when you're on a Zoom call, that you're there 100% for the other individual. He says that seeking out opportunities to serve and support other people. So in whatever ways we can, to volunteer in our communities, to support or to serve other people if possible, and certainly reaching out for that support if we're still employed. To be responsive each day, supportive each day of other people, and to practice gratitude. And perhaps that third one is the one that we might do the least. But he says that practicing that gratitude to other people for what they do for us is so important to maintaining that, that connectedness. Engaging with people of different backgrounds and experiences, we may be fortunate enough to do that in whatever our work is. But if we are retired, if we're not out in the workforce any longer, finding ways in which to engage with people of different backgrounds and experiences so that we can expand our understanding of those folks and our relationships with other people. And of course, he goes on to say that participation in social and community groups is very important. And he says, fitness groups, having a buddy with whom you would walk each day, going to the gym, if you're going at the same time every day, undoubtedly you'll meet the same people there. So that forms a group. Religious life of any description, belonging to a church group, helps to uh, foster that connectedness. Of course, professional groups to which we might belong, community service organizations, all of those foster a sense of belonging, meaning, and purpose for the individual. He goes on to say that reducing practices that lead to feelings of disconnection from another person. So if you find that you've tried to connect with someone and time and time again, it just doesn't work out, you're probably going down the wrong lane there. It might just be important for, to say, this person doesn't want to connect with me. And so you move on to some place or someone else or some other group where you can feel that, that connection. Also, 
Feelings of disconnected connection from others can include excessive social media use, as I said, gaming, uh, even going to places where you would be gambling can be a form of social disconnectedness. You are only connected to whatever the machinery is on which you are gambling. Um, time spent in unhealthy relationships where you keep going back to a relationship that makes you feel negative at the end of the day or put down or whatever. Um, and a disproportionate amount of time in front of screens instead of with other people. And that includes even watching television or movies with other people. If that's your only form of connection is, is whatever you're watching on television, that's not going to foster a feeling of connection in yourself. Reaching out when you begin to feel lonely. That would be difficult to do at first. But reaching out and asking someone, you know, would you go for a cup of coffee with me? I'm experiencing this feeling right now. And talking it out with somebody would be so important. And of course, seeking help during those times of struggle. If talking to a family member, talking to a friend isn't enough, then reaching out to a counselor or a healthcare provider would be so important. And if those kinds of feelings keep getting stronger, then reaching out to a healthcare line, a crisis line. Being open with your healthcare provider, Murthy says, is so important. Sometimes people go to the doctors and they talk about everything except what's really bothering them. And that is especially true if they're going to their internal medicine doctor, but they don't tell them how they're feeling inside. So being open with your healthcare provider, if there have been significant social changes in your life, because understanding how those social changes can impact your physical health is so important. And your healthcare provider can then make recommendations that might help to mitigate feelings of isolation. And then what are your core values of connection? Bertie says these are so important because out of those values is how you usually approach others in conversation. And those values impede you to take certain actions. So key questions to ask yourself, he says, are considering your interactions with others and what do those interactions include? How might kindness change a situation with someone else? What would it look like if you treated everyone with respect and everyone treated you with the same respect? How can you be of service to other people? How can you reflect your concern for and your commitment to other individuals? So all of those recommendations for what you can do as an individual are included with his book. And so I, I can't really recommend the book enough. And so I will repeat the title of the book, which is Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. And it's by Vivek, V-I-V-E-K, Murthy, M-U-R-T-H-Y, M-D, who is our Surgeon General. I hope you found this information helpful on loneliness and isolation. You can tune in to our upcoming podcasts, Journey to Thrive, on our website at sjvcenter.org, and then click on resources or anywhere you get your podcasts. So thank you for your attention. 
and God bless you today.